Um, this morning, Pastor Brian is at our pastor's church, Pastor Gene's church. They are having homecoming, and Pastor Gene asked Brian if he could come speak, and when our pastor asks us to do something, we do it. So Brian is serving our pastor this morning. Oh, God already has me tore up. There is something on this day. And y'all need to get an expectation. Not just for the words that I speak or the scriptures I read, but you need to be an expectation that God is downloading something in you. Because the Spirit of God is here. He is reaching out and he is longing to give you what you need. Today is your day of receiving if you choose to receive it. So I'm telling you, whatever you have going on, be it family, be it work, be it whatever, good or bad, I want you to shake it off. I want you to get it out of your mind. And I want you just to soak in the glory of God this morning. Because as I was studying this, I was out of town this week at a conference. And I left early one day, and then I left, a, got done another day. And both days I was just, you know, just praying over this and just studying it and putting my notes together. And then I was driving home Friday and just praying over it Friday. And my heart was just breaking. And I had to ask God, Lord, live this a little bit because I'm driving. I can't take this. I can't see through the tears. I feel like my heart's going to come out of my chest. And I don't know if it was breaking for him or if it was breaking for the world. But hope, thank you is not a small deal. And I don't know if I'll preach or ramble. You know, we've been talking on hope, and worldly hope is, you know, just a wishing and a hoping and a praying, and maybe it will and maybe it won't, and there's so much of that crap in the world, and that is not hope. Godly hope is a joyful, confident expectation. It's a knowing, knowing, my God, my God. doesn't matter what I see. What I see is temporal. What I see is fake. But my God, this word, the Lord within me, the Holy Spirit within me, that's real. That doesn't change. That doesn't fail it's my rock it's my salvation that is hope you know and I'm sitting here and I told Brian you know Brian announced to the church last Sunday Nicole's going to preach on hope next week and I was like oh okay um you heard it when I heard it and you know I had a full week 
Um, and so I was like, well, you're going to need to send me the notes that you want me to preach, and I'll do that. And I just, even as I said it, I was like, Lord, that just doesn't sit right. And so I was just praying and asking, you know, what do you want me to preach because you've got something. And so I'm not going to wait on Brian, and I didn't even tell Brian. I was like, I'm not waiting on Brian, and I don't know how I'm going to fit this into my schedule, but I need you to download in me what the people need, what they need to hear because there's something there. And as he was just downloading into me, it's just I see images all over of the newspaper and the TV and the people and just chaos and darkness and despair. And then I see God, and he's just weeping for us because he has what we need. He is what we need. And yet we sit here, and we struggle, and we fight each other. And, and I was just thinking of all the junk going on, and you've got you know, racial strife going on more. I mean, it's like we've been back, set us back to you know, civil rights. We've gone back 30 years. Then you look at political unknowns. You know, people don't want to vote for either side. And then you look at financial constraints and just all the junk going on and everybody is just hopeless. And I, I hurt for them because I know what their answer is. But then I hurt for God because, you know, I look at my kids and I'm like, why would they ever go hungry? Why would they ever go naked? Why would they ever sleep out in the cold and the dirt? If my kids did that, oh my gosh, it would break me. And so as I sat here and I'm studying this and I'm praying on this, and I'm like, Lord, I'm so sorry. We have a God that loves us so much. We have a daddy that wants to clothe us and feed us and protect us and hold us the way Deanna is holding Amari. Just to rock us and comfort us and nurture us. All this stuff, all this world, as a child of God, you may be in it, but you're not of it. This racial junk, the political junk, the financial junk, the struggles and the strife, that's not you. That doesn't pertain to you. What this says, this is what pertains to you. And that's not a wishing and a hoping, and that's not, you know, fairy tale Pollyanna junk. This is truth. This is gospel. The only reason that we don't see it is because we don't truly believe it, because we don't see the need for it, because we've come to a time, an age, and a spirit of mediocrity where everything comes before God. And y'all, I'm not, I'm not preaching just to you or at you. Every one of us have done that. You think about it now. You know, Abigail works on homework till 10 and 11 o'clock every night. She's, been, she's missed some of Wednesday services because she's sitting in there and she tries to listen, but she's doing homework for five hours every night after being in school for six to eight hours. You think about school um, sports. Nobody thinks twice now 
about schedule and practice on Wednesday or games on Sunday. There's events on Sundays and Wednesdays. We can't stay out so late. You know, we can't come to church on Wednesday because, you know, golly, Pete, you preach till 8.30. But I'll, flip, I'll stay at home and I'll flip the channels till 10 or 11. Or I'm just so tired. But I'll go home and I'll play on my phone. This is why we don't have hope. Because we have put everything, everything on top of God. And somewhere back there, he's there. And when we hit rock bottom, we'll go and, Lord, I need you. I'll do whatever you tell me. I need you. But then when everything gets good, back to the background he goes. And the whole time he's there going, please just listen to me. You can avoid the chaos. You can avoid the struggles if you will just keep your eyes on me. I know it's not always easy. There's constantly stuff trying to get in the way. But I've got so much for you. I mean, you think about if you're a parent or an aunt or an uncle or a friend, you think about having everything that your loved one needs, and the only time they come to you is when they need you. It breaks your heart. And as I was just studying on this this week, it was just my heart was breaking for God, I think, more than us. You know, and it's, Ryan and I were talking about the leadership conference we were at yesterday and Friday, and we went and he spoke to the group, and then part of Saturday was the senior pastor men went one place, and the Pastors' wives or lady pastors went another place, and we just talked you know, amongst ourselves. And, you know, and I went in, and I'm going, these are some anointed women of God. I'm going to get what, I'm going to get the golden tickets. We're going to come back, and boomerang is just going to be done. We're, we're going to get the ground running. We're never slowing down. I'm getting the answer. And everything they were saying is stuff that we're doing. Everything. Because God showed us that two parts of man series. God longs to love on us. And whether you understand it or not, your spirit is longing to love on him. It's who you are. I never would have necessarily classified myself as a praiser. I can't sing worth a lick. Brian forbids me to dance. So, you know, I just assumed I'm not necessarily a praiser. <laughs> Hush it, Gabe. <laughs> but here lately, you know, since we've gotten a hold of that two parts of man series, or two parts of life series, and I've really gotten it down in just how much God wants to love me. By default, I've been loving on him so much more. I, I literally wake up singing songs that I didn't know I knew the words to. I'm like, oh, that's an awesome song. I know that. I mean, there was one I woke up and I was singing the words, and I was like, I don't know what this is, and I Googled it. Here are the words I know. And found, you know, it was an old, old hymnal. We long to love on Diddy. 
But until we come to understand how much he loves us, we won't truly get it down in us. And until we truly understand how much Diddy loves us, we can't understand hope. But I need you to understand your hope is in God. It's not in more time, because Lord knows I pray for more time all the time. It's not in more money. It's not in a better marriage. It's not in more kids. It's not in anything. Your hope is in God, because as you put your hope in him, all of that other stuff starts to line up. And I know you look at the news now, and I'm going to tell y'all, growing up, my daddy came home. I got home from school, and for an hour, the TV was mine. It was I Love Lucy, and then the Cosby Show, while I did homework. Because, girl, let me tell you some Lucy. But at 5 o'clock, my daddy walked in the door, and I knew I just moved my posterior end over to the couch, got out of his recliner. I left the remote there, and he turned on the news, just like that, 5 o'clock. That's where we were. And for the next hour, I heard every cuss word under the sun. I heard moaning and groaning and complaining. And y'all don't get me wrong, I love my daddy. But for an hour, he was one of the most bitter people I'd ever seen. I hated it. And I vowed right then, when I get to be old like him, you know, 35, I'm never going to watch the news because if, that, if the news makes you that kind of person, I don't want it. And I never have. I've not watched the news because you tell me what on that news is good. I can go on my little Weather Channel app and figure out what to wear. The rest of it is gloom, despair, agony on me. You're all going to die. The world is, you know, going to hell. There's nothing good in there. If you want to know what's going on, pick up your word. It tells you what's going on in the world. But more than that, it tells you what to do with it. It tells you that you have a hope. It tells you, I know something good is coming. There will be struggles. There will be trials. There will be persecutions. But you keep focusing on me. The problem with looking at your circumstances and looking at everything going on in the world is to do that, you have to take your eyes off God. Keep your eyes on him, and all of this gets fixed. Because you're putting your hope and you're putting your trust into the answer. That's hope. This is who you are. It's knowing something good is coming. Think about your salvation. I remember exactly. I, my whole life growing up, I knew there, you know, there's a big man upstairs. So I had a head knowledge that there was a God. I didn't really know him. And then I met this tall, dark, and handsome man who took me to church in a miniskirt. And uh, then we went to the dinner table, and I sat at the dinner table, and him and his ditty started telling me, you know, more about God. And, I mean, I didn't have a bad childhood. So I don't have this great, dark background. I had a good childhood. I had great parents. But I sat there at the table, and suddenly, you know, as when I met Brian, it was just, well, you work, you get married, you have kids, you work, you die, the end. You know, it wasn't that it was horrible, but it was just, eh. 
But then I sat at that table one day, and Brian and his dad were telling me about God and telling me about what was in the Word and the promises and the love for me that I never knew because I was so insecure. I was so shy. I beat myself up all the time, and I just I had no hope. You know, I'm just, this is what you do. This is what happens. Then you die in the end, and, you know, nobody's going to remember you. Nobody's going to put, you know, flowers on your grave after the first couple of months. It was very just, blah. But suddenly I heard about a love and a person who wanted life and abundance for me. And then I learned about what life and abundance was, and I sat there at that table, and I had a hope. There's more. There's more to life than what I know. Suddenly, I had a reason to hope that things can get better, that things can be good. If you're saved, that hope, just like a mustard seed of faith, that's within you. That's who you are. You have that hope. You know, Psalm 28, 7 says, those who hope in God will be helped. Isaiah 49 tells us we won't be disappointed. Turn to Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not calamity, to give you a future, to give you hope. He knew you before you were in the womb, and the whole time he had this plan for you. This is your plan in life, is to have hope. Turn to Psalm 46, verses 2 and 3. You're to be free from the fear and anxiety that the world says. He says, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. We will not fear. This is who you were called to be. So why don't we have it? Why do we walk in here on Wednesdays and Sundays or we see each other in the grocery stores and our response to how are you doing or how was your week is no different than the response of somebody in the world. Why aren't we going through, you know, you don't necessarily need to skip through Walmart, but why aren't we going with our head held high and we're glowing and we're just radiant. You know, I listened at this conference I was at to speaker after speaker, and some of them were good, but that last one was great. And he stood up there, and he had such a confidence about him, and I know because of I digging, digging into his background online that he loved God, and there was something different from him than all the other speakers of the week. And it was a secular conference, so, you know, I wasn't surprised that there wasn't many godly speakers, but this man went up there, and he was taking his mountain. He was doing what he was called to do within the world. He was ministering to or speaking to HR staff, which HR is weird as it is, but he was doing it with such a confidence and such a joy. And I told Brian, he was one of these men. He was a tall black man and just stocky and just owned the room. But man, when he laughed, I don't care if you were on death's door, you could not not laugh. He just had a joy about him that permeated those 1,200 
HR people at this conference. And every time he laughed, they laughed. That's a joy that is contagious. That's a hope that is contagious. This is who you are. You should walk through the store or go to the bank or go to work and you should have such a hope and such a joy that people make excuses to come see you at work because you're contagious. But we haven't had it because we haven't fully understood the need to have it. But let me ask you this question. How many of you have been tempted to give up on a marriage, give up on a job, feel like nothing is going to change financially? How many of you have felt led that where God planted you isn't the church for you? And I'm talking to you too, live stream. How many of you have been tempted to skip church or to stop going to church for a while and just, you know, handle stuff? How many of you have seen churches decline? I can tell you right now of multiple pastors just in our town that went months without pay. Multiple pastors. I can tell you of a couple of pastors that considered quitting. I can tell you handfuls of church, churches where their attendance has gone down. If any one of those applied to you, raise your hand. Look around. And I'm convinced if your hand isn't raised, you haven't really evaluated your life. Every one of us have been tempted, especially since we started on this message, to give up hope in some area. It's not just you. It's not just your life sucks. It's a spiritual attack. Satan does not want you planted where God has planted you, be it your church, your marriage, your job, the friends you were called to be with. He doesn't want you there, and here's why. Because you are called to be contagious. Because you were called to infect the world with a hope that destroys everything else. You were called, if you were called to boomerang, you were called to boomerang because you were called to infect each other. Because you were called to come here and be fed and built up. And I was thinking about it yesterday and my family, we're a bunch of rednecks. We like guns. We like shooting. But, you know, you look at a gun and how much damage does a gun do? Not much unless you throw it and hit somebody in the head with it. What is it that does the damage? It's the bullet. A bullet has to be inserted into the gun. It has to be fired. Then it goes and does the damage. The hope within you is that bullet. But you've got to go to the church that God has planted you in. You've got to be submitted to the pastor that God has planted you under so that he can load that bullet within you. And then you can be shot into this world and dispersed and just demolish the enemy. We are called to be killers. We are called to kill any plan of Satan. That's who we are. We are enemies. We are weapons of God's enemy. And we are called to not walk around this world moping and letting the world infect us. We are called to destroy the plans of the enemy. 
amongst each other. This is why you need to be in church. Because, let me tell you this story. We came one day recently, and it was a Wednesday night, and the message was awesome. It was a great message because it was what God, I mean, the Holy Spirit was all over it. But the attendance was down. People shifted and turned and stuff in their seat. They couldn't sit still. Others were just staring like a cow at a new gate. What do I do with this? And we went home. And Brian was so frustrated. He was so down. And he was just like, I don't know what to do with this. You know, we're putting in the word of God. It does what it needs to do. But if a gun, let's say you have a revolver, if it, if it won't open and you can't insert the bullets, how much damage is it going to do? It's not going to do any. We have to come ready to be loaded with Holy Spirit-filled ammunition. Well, I've been being filled with that. So we get home, and I start shooting into Brian, one right after the other. Words of God, Holy Spirit leading, scriptures, vision, and suddenly he's like, you know what, you're right. Thank you for that. And then it wasn't long. There was a few, I think a Sunday after that, before church ever started. I'm being glass house with y'all. I hope that's okay. Before church ever started, I had six people call me and tell me, well, I had something come up, or I'm going to work, or I just don't feel like getting out of bed, or I've got a snipple, or whatever. So I'm not coming to church. I was so pissed off. Not necessarily at the people, but at Satan. I was so stinking pissed off because if God is first, jobs will prosper. If God is your source, energy, healing, strength, peace, joy is yours. Anytime we feel the need to not come to church is when we need to break down the doors to get in. And I was just pissed at Satan. I'm tired of you lying to people. I'm tired of you keeping them from where they need to be. And I was just pissy the entire day. And the next day, I texted a couple of people. And no, it wasn't even the next day. It was that night. Because God got a hold of me. And he started downloading into me what I needed to. And other people had spoken into me joy and peace and comfort and the strength that I needed. This is who we are called to be because every one of us, We'll have days when the world will infect us. And it may be church that infects us with crud. It may be work. It may be your spouse. It may be your kids. It may just be the person that cuts you off. It may be needing to stop and fill up the gas tank when you don't feel like getting out. You don't have the strength to stand. That's when we lean on each other. That's when we run to our shepherd or we run to you know, our brothers and sisters. And we pull out the hope that is within them. This is who you were called to be. Ambassadors of hope. Why? Because God loves them so much. That on the days when they don't feel it, he needs you to pour into them. Because he knows there's going to be somebody that they need to pour into. The world needs hope you know you think about the racial stuff going on how many of us you know walk around life think you know waking up going well today I'm going to be a strong white woman 
Nobody thinks that mess. You think that, George? That's interesting. You know, I don't look in the mirror and I don't say, man alive, I'm an awesome redhead. Nobody thinks that. They don't care about the color of their skin. They just want to know they matter. They just want to know there is hope for them. That there's life and love for them. Nobody cares about who gets elected. They want to know that the world is going to be okay. You don't know Hillary Clinton personally. You don't know Trump personally. You know what they stand for, and you need to vote for whatever it aligns with the word of God, but you don't know them personally. What you know is, God, help this world, because we need it. Lord, we need hope. I need to turn on the TV just once and see a good story. I need to see a story of hope, not buildings burning, not somebody getting shot. Lord, let me look and see that every stock is through the roof, not because I care about that company or I care about the little arrow, but I need to know there's hope in this world. Hope is what the world needs, not a green piece of paper, not a man with a comb over or a woman, not the color of our skin or our gender or where we came from. We just need hope. This is what the world needs, and this is exactly why Satan is attacking it. Because look, along with faith and love, hope is an enduring virtue of Christian life. Faith, hope, and love are the things that sustain. Love springs from hope. You can read about that one in Colossians. Hope produces joy and peace in believers through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you will, turn to Romans 15, 13. It tells us, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you a child of God? If you are, you have the God of hope within you. You can't do a thing about it. You are hope manifested in this world. But what you can do is you can choose to keep it in, letting the crud of the world weigh you down and cover up that hope, or you can go about it and abound in that hope, manifesting that joy, that power, and that peace that this world needs. You have it within you now. You are not beat down. You are not forsaken. You are not busted and disgusted. You are not lower than anyone. You have the God of hope within you today. I don't care if you have nothing in your bank account, nothing in your cabinets. You don't know where you're going to go after this. You have the God of hope within you, and he is longing to make you abound in that joy and that peace because he loves you so much right where you are. And as we choose to focus on that God within us, as we choose to focus on him as our answers, I guarantee you the junk that has been weighing us will start to fall off. 
Somehow the bank account will have something in it. Somehow the food will show up. Somehow the joy will be there because we are putting our eyes on God and not the circumstances. You know, I loved walking in this morning and seeing Paul, you know, because Satan tried to attack. Y'all heard his testimony. He had every worldly reason to stop hoping. But they didn't. When Paul was low, Jade filled him up. When Jade was low, Paul filled them up. If they were both low, we get texts. And Jade's like, I need you, girl. Speak something into me now. And we'd fill them up. And as they kept their eyes on God, what did you get yesterday, Paul? Almost $1,600. How much work did you have to do for that? How much begging did you have to do for that? None of it. Because he kept his eyes on the God of hope. This is what we are called to do. This is who we are called to be. And it's that very hope that Satan is trying to destroy in us. We don't just decide to hope and sit idly by. You know, there's a scripture that says, faith without works is dead. Your hope is the same way. And that's why the world looks the way it looks now. Because, yeah, we've read, there's hope, blah, blah, it's in there somewhere. But then we just sit. Or we think, well, in the sweet by and by, it's all going to be good. I'll just sit here and read my word and, you know, bless. Hope acts. Hope is a force to be reckoned with. When you understand the promises of God and you get them within you, it's going to get you in gear. Better than any premium gas there is. You're going to be running on hope, and hope don't run out. You just keep refilling with the Word of God, and it's always there. As you keep refilling with the Word of God, as you keep trusting in Him, as you keep leaning on each other, hope is there. It changes how we see ourselves. That day at the dinner table, when I received Christ as my Savior, suddenly... I wasn't this shy little red-headed girl who didn't have a hope and a prayer, was just going to go lead a boring, boring life. Suddenly I realized I don't know it all. I don't know what all the plans are. But I just learned about a God that says they're good. So there's something within me that's good. And I believed it because God said it. And as he called me to preach, I mean, y'all have heard my testimony. I sat there the first time and I preached like this. And about 18 minutes later, it was over. Now, when I stepped up to the pulpit, I did not want to be preaching. Every fiber of my fleshly being said, no. But in my spirit, I knew there was something there. I knew God had something needing to get out. And each time I did it, and it was like an energy bolt just renewing me and strengthening me because suddenly I was walking in who God called me to be. And suddenly I started seeing myself as a called woman of God instead of a scared little girl because I realized there was hope. God had a plan for me. He has a plan for you because he loves you. He didn't just breathe life into you so you could go through the motions like a robot, so you could wake up and get dressed and go to work and come home and, you know, 
do this supper or mow the yard or whatever and then go to bed and rinse and repeat. He has a plan for you. You were called to make a difference. You were called to change the world. You were called to infect this world with the hope that he is. It changes what we value when we get who God is and what's important to God. Suddenly you realize, I don't care if I have the sniffles. I don't care if work needs me. I don't care if there's you know, a Panthers game that starts at 1. My butt is going to be firmly planted in the seat, and I'm going to value coming to church because my word says, don't forget the assembling together of the saints. So if God tells me, tells me I need to assemble together, and if God tells me he's assigned me a shepherd and I need to submit to him, then by God I will do what he's called me to do because he says it's important for me, and he knows what I need better than I do. If God tells me not to go to the movie that I want to go see, I don't go to the movie that I want to go see. If God tells me to wake up 15 minutes early and get in the word, I wake up 15 minutes early and y'all, I like my sleep. But if God values it enough to tell me or enough to put it in his word, I value my Lord enough to listen. This is what hope does. Because when you have hope in God, you know, I may not know all the answers, but I know my king. I know my ditty, and I know he loves me. And if he tells me something, then it's meant to lead me to triumph and victory, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. It affects what we do with our lives, our time, our talents, our treasure. God told us to sell our company. We owned a company. Brian and I both worked for it. God said, sell it. Well, Lord, that's quite interesting, seeing how that pays all our bills. We have a new home, a new car, and a six-month-old baby. But God said, I didn't call you to that. Sell it. Okay. And, of course, you know, we kicked and screamed, and we argued for about a year until we finally got in obedience. But once we got in obedience, we sold the business for much, much less than what we wanted to sell it for. But as we stepped into obedience, the moment that our business stopped paying, God gave me a job that paid me exactly what we were getting before. We never once missed a single penny. But not only that, the pay rose. Each year, God would give me a promotion. Because we chose to value the time and the talents and the treasure that he put a value on. This was Brian's daddy's business. Brian grew up. It was a chemical business. Brian grew up playing on the 55-gallon drums, you know, rolling them and playing with them and cleaning them and hosing down each other, you know, the kids playing in it. He grew up in this business. Of course it's going to be his business. His kids are going to grow up on those, you know, barrels and playing and shooting each other with the water hose when they're supposed to be cleaning. Of course it's what he's going to do. It's what his daddy did. But it's not what our father called him to do. And we had to be willing to put down family ties or, you know, inheritance, worldly inheritance, and be willing to blindly step into faith. And as we did, I got a good job. They paid for me to go back to school. 
I got a degree. I became certified. There are initials behind my name. I got, you know, promotions. And God got, or God called Brian to preach the word of God and stepped into his rightful calling. But what would have happened if we wouldn't have valued the word of God and we would have valued, well, I can't let go of this. This is what my dad gave to me. This is my worldly inheritance. If I don't have this, then I won't have anything. This is the only thing I know to do. It's the only thing I've been trained to do. We never would have seen what we've seen today. I am convinced that business would have tanked because the word of God and the blessing of God was not on it because we were not called to it. What about the lives that wouldn't have been changed through Boomerang Church? Boomerang Church would not be here. My daughter may not be here. A step of obedience saved her life. And you may think, how does selling a business change a a baby's life? Because we valued the word of God. We esteemed God, and he esteemed us. This is who you're called to be. You've got a God that loves you so much. If he tells you to do something, do it. Because he's raising you up to a place where you can be that hope. I go to work each day and I've got, you know, HR on my door. I am not HR. I am ambassador of God in that office. And I don't go around work every day going, oh, God bless you. Jesus saves. Praise, can I pray with you? Have a blessed day. I go to work, and I say what God leads me to say. And it's not that God's telling me every single word to say, but I go in knowing, Lord, I will change this place for you today. I may never say the name of Jesus come tomorrow, but I will manifest his love and his hope in everything I do. When Excel crashes and our financial controller is flipping out because Excel has crashed and y'all accountants use Excel for everything, at least in my office they do. So when Excel crashes, oh gosh, my job is to speak peace to her. My job is when she's walking around the office to get her coffee or taking a potty break or whatever, my job is to go in there and lay hands on that computer thank you lord this thing works exactly the way it needs to work she gets her job done her day is stress free everything operates the way it's supposed to operate in jesus name this is a blessed office and i scoot back to my office she never once sees me in there but when we understand that we are ambassadors of hope our job isn't just plant manager or you know, banker or HR or teacher. Our job is ambassadors of hope. We're just called to do it at different places. You know, we talked on Connection Show one day about um, janitors, and I was saying, you know, so many people look at janitors as a lowly position, but you consider a janitor in a school. Where does that janitor not touch? That janitor touches every square inch of that building. He's cleaning the bathrooms. He's cleaning the halls. He's cleaning the the school rooms. He's cleaning the kitchen. Now, you consider if this janitor is a spirit-filled man of God that understands he is ambassador of hope, what is he imparting into every square inch of that school? 
He's imparting hope. He's imparting love. He's imparting the blessings of God. This is who we're called to be. The world needs hope, and they need us. And we've got to understand that we've got a God that loves us so much. He has filled us with that hope. He loves Priscilla so much that he fills Barrett with that hope so that when Priscilla's had a bad day, Barrett can impart that hope into her. This is who we're called to be. The world needs you to understand how much God loves you. He needs you to understand the hope that is within you. Because when the church understands that we, as the body of Christ, is hope in action, our news won't have anything to report. They're going to have to report the weather and the sports, and they're suddenly going to have to be praise news. Well, let me tell you about what good happened today. Well, let me tell you about this other good story that happened today. We looked high and low, but we couldn't find any junk to report because there wasn't anything bad. Because the church is operating in what they're called to operate. The church suddenly realizes they're not to blend in with the world, but they're to change the world. The church is called to be hope in action. This is who you are. Not to sit idly by. Not just, oh, I'll pray for you. You're called to change the world. And your world may be in an HR office or a home on the highway. Your world may be on a farm, but you change that world because every person that that farm touches is being changed through that farm, and they're taking it back to their grocery store or they're taking it back to their bank or they're taking it back to their home. You just start with your world. You choose to see, I don't know all the answers and I don't care, but I know I have a ditty that loves me so much. And if that's the only thing I know, then I know there is hope. I know there is something good because I have a ditty that gave everything for me. When we get that as the body of Christ, we're going to be bullish. We're going to run this world over. We're going to steamroll every problem, every junk that tries to attack, and we're going to leave the love stamp and hope stamp all over it. That'll be our treadmarks. We are to be boastful about who our ditty is. Now, you do it in love. But how many people have been somewhere where they've been afraid to pray? Or they've been afraid to say the name of Jesus for sake of offending someone. I have. I went to this conference this week and everybody's sitting down, 1,200 people there together, eight people at each table. It's, I mean, huge. And everybody's getting their food and everybody's just digging in and talking. And I get to the table and I'm like, I'm going to look real stupid right here, but I'm about to pray over this food. Now, my flesh felt really dumb. I'm amongst 1,200 people, and I could probably count on one hand or foot how many people that I saw praying over their food. But I'm not going to back down. Because what happens if Rebecca sitting at her table and sees me pray and goes, oh, that's a good idea. You know what? I am a child of God. I do need to pray over my food. And then 
Reagan sees Rebecca, and Barrett sees Reagan, and Gabe sees George, suddenly people realize it's okay to stand up for the God that stood up for you. We are to stand on hope, and when someone asks, why do you follow that God? There's a billion of them. Why don't you just choose another one? Let me tell you why. Because every other God is dead or some fat little statue sitting on the counter. My God is alive and well. My God gives me hope when all the others tell you to die for them. My God died for me. That's the God I serve, and I will serve him happily. I will serve him out loud. I will serve him and do exactly what he tells me because I know that a God that would die for me is a God that's going to lead me to a life of victory, that is going to lead me to hope when there seems to be none, that's going to lead me to love when it seems like everybody else has turned their back on me. This is why I serve this God because I have a God of hope. This is who we are called to be. What happens when the church stands up and does that? You heard the thing, squeaky wheel gets the grease? This is why we're hearing about all the racial junk, the political junk, the financial junk, you know, this superhero or that superhero, because it's the squeaky wheel. What happens when the church starts to squeak? When instead of walking out mildly and humbly, we walk out going, Jesus! Hope is in this place. Love is in this place. What happens when the church goes to car wrecks and prays over the people? Or the church walks in to their grocery store and as they're searching for groceries, they're praying over each aisle. Blessings be on this place in Jesus' name. My, my grocery store is blessed beyond measure. They sell more than every grocery store in the world because this grocery store is anointed for God. Because this bank is anointed for God because this school preaches and teaches the word of God because my teachers listen to the word of God even if they don't understand who God is they are led by his Holy Spirit what happens when we are the squeaky wheel that demands that each place is taken for God what happens to our world it starts to look very different Because we understand that we have a God of hope and the world needs him. And we can't just sit by watching the TV and cussing at the screen and complaining about the people that are running for election or complaining about the stock market or complaining about this or that. We've got to get up and take action. You know, every person that complains about something but doesn't do anything, they just want to complain. But what happens when you realize you have hope within you and it's meant to be contagious? The world needs you to infect them with the God of hope. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 12 and 13 says, we don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly, just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us towards that consummation. 
we are to trust steadily in God. We are to hope unswervingly and love extravagantly. This is what the world needs. We don't need more black lives matter, police matter, white lives matter, a different politician, different this, different that. We don't need a new church. We don't need a new job. We don't need a new spouse. We need hope. We need people who will stand up and hope unswervingly, no matter what's coming at them. We need somebody that will love extravagantly. Go to the person that you like the least, that your flesh just screams when they see them. We've all got them. There's somebody. You're just popped in your head now going, oh, when I see them at the grocery store at work, I turn and walk the other way. Next time, go up to them and hug them or shake their hand or ask to pray for them. And if you don't see them, pray for them anyways. You know, this last speaker, one thing I really liked was when he ended his speech, he said, I am Simon T. Bailey. I love you, and there's not a darn thing you can do about it. How awesome is that? You may not want to receive his love, but he is not going to stop loving you because it's who he is. As a child of God, we are ambassadors of hope. We are ambassadors of love. And unless God tells us to do something differently, we are to go into this world and we are to love them whether they deserve it or not. We are to love them even if they are cursing Jesus up one side and down the other. You love them. Because it is that love that destroyed death, hell, and the grave. And if you want to change the world, you change it with hope and love. And every single one of you, as a child of God, have hope within you. Are you breathing? I don't see anybody here naked. If you need food, come see me. You're sitting in air condition. You're sitting in a place where you can worship the King of Kings openly without being shot or beheaded. You can leave here, and it's a beautiful day outside. And you've got a hope and a promise. If nothing else, that takes two hands to count all the reasons you have to hope. You have hope, and the world needs you to be reminded of that every morning. Go to the Internet. Print off that picture. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it on your computer desk. There is hope, and I am it because the God of hope lives within me. There is hope because I have a ditty who loves me enough to die for me. I don't care who's yelling at me. I don't care that the computer crashed. I don't care that the engine blew. There is hope because I have a God that will not forsake me. He died for me. He will not forsake me. There is hope. And I don't understand everything that happens. But I understand there is hope. Because as long as... As God remains, and he will always remain, there will always be hope. 